our reading this morning is a poem by the poet Rilke called The Suspicions of Joseph. And the angel spoke, not without carefully hearing this man who stood there with his fists tightened. But isn't it clear from the very fold of her dress that she is as cool as the morning mist? The man looked at him with suspicion and said, I want to know how this happened. The angel spoke louder. You woodworker, don't you see any mark of God at all in this? Just because you know how to make planks out of tree trunks, are you unable to imagine one who can bring forth leaves and pregnant buds out of the same tree? He got it. And the instant he lifted his deeply shocked eyes to the angel, the angel was gone. He took hold of his cap and pulled it off slowly, and what he sang was a hymn. Just because you know how to make planks out of tree trunks, are you unable to imagine one who can bring forth leaves and pregnant buds out of the same wood? He got it. And the instant he lifted his deeply shocked eyes to the angel, the angel was gone. He took hold of his cap and pulled it off slowly. And what he sang was a hymn. What happened to Joseph? What could Joseph have been thinking in this exchange with the angel? What might he have been feeling in this encounter with the angel? Whatever it was, his only response was to sing a hymn of praise. Now, friends, please don't tune out just because I'm talking about angels and Mary and Joseph. Don't tune out because this story doesn't pass the logic test for you. Don't tune out because there is a deep truth here, one that all of us need to hear. Let me share some of the context for this reading, this poem. We're in the second week of Advent, and as many of you know, Advent in the Western Christian tradition is the four weeks before Christmas. It is a time of anticipation, of expectant waiting, of slowing down, of getting clear about what really matters. As people prepare their hearts and their minds for the birth of Jesus into the world, the promise of hope and light and possibility coming back into a dark world. This Advent season, as John Buchanan recently wrote in the Christian century, this Advent season plays out against the backdrop of a materialistic culture at its gaudiest. Most materialistic, most vulgar. The season's advertising will appeal to the least attractive human characteristics, greed and pride, and our need to affirm ourselves by what we buy and consume. 
And Buchanan goes on to say, and this is the part I really want you to hear. So that's the backdrop of Advent. It's, it's the frenzy of Christmas, of going out and shopping, all those things. He goes on to say, Advent responds to that frenzy by reminding us that a child will be born in the midst of a world and a time very much like our own. That the reconciliation and redemption, his birth or her birth, promises is not separate from the world. And that he or she will call us to follow him or her and be his or her people in this very same greedy, vulgar, and beautiful world. His birth, her birth, which Advent anticipates, will be a light in the darkness that darkness will not overcome. So that's a bit of context to understand that during this Advent season, many are preparing for the birth of Jesus, for the birth of hope, love, light in the world. And many are also turning to Mary and Joseph as they wait for the arrival of their child. Thus, the poem, The Suspicions of Joseph. This poem, of course, is not from the Bible, but it sure seems like a sacred scripture to me. This poem invites us to imagine what Joseph was going through when he got the news. We're invited to really land in that place of suspicion and doubt and uncertainty about what was going on. And if this Joseph and Mary story is one you've long ago dismissed as not real, I invite you to come back to this story with new eyes. In the poem, it's clear that Joseph has run headlong, smacked into the wall of his understanding. All of his worldly knowledge can't really explain what's just happened. What he knows is that his wife is pregnant, and he's pretty darn sure he's not the father. And he's a little steamed. He has a lot of questions. And I mean, wouldn't you? I know I would in that situation. I would have a lot of questions. So we can relate to this human Joseph of like, wait, I need to know what just happened here. And the angel carefully listens to this man who stands there with his fists tightened, with his fists tightened, saying, I want to know how this happened. And the angel says to him, just because you know how to make planks out of tree trunks, are you unable to imagine one who can bring forth leaves and pregnant buds out of the same wood? Can you not imagine the one who makes the rose open its tender, scent-filled blossoms? And somehow, some way, Joseph gets it. Something beyond words happens to him. A mystery. His deeply shocked eyes look for the angel, but the angel is gone. And he begins to sing a hymn. I like to imagine that maybe Joseph began to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. In Hebrew, Emmanuel means God is with us. So I think of Joseph, and I wonder. I wonder if maybe somehow in that moment with the angel, Joseph gave up his illusion of control over life's events 
I wonder if in that moment he was filled with holy wonder and fear and understood on some deep level that the spirit of life, the spirit of God was with him and with Mary and was at work in the world. I wonder. And Mary, dear Mary, Mary, too, on some deep level, trusts that the spirit of life is with her despite so much that is unknown. She's not in this poem. She's more at the edges of this poem. But we know from the biblical account, as author Kathleen Norris reminds us, that Mary proceeds, as we all must do in life, making her commitment without knowing much about what it will entail or where it will lead. She makes her commitment without knowing much about what it will entail or where it will lead. Both Mary and Joseph in this story, they get it. They trust that something greater than themselves moves with them, and they say yes without knowing much about what that entails and where it will lead. So if you're not really into the Mary and Joseph story. Let me just pick that line up from a, from a paragraph ago and try to land this whole thing right dead smack in the middle of your lives right now. Mary and Joseph even, they proceed, they make the commitment, they understand something deep and profound and they move forward without knowing what it entails or what it means. And really, isn't that what a committed partnership or a marriage is like? Right? We say to one another, I do, I promise, I will, but what do those promises really entail? And where will they lead? I was thinking about this this morning as I wrote this again. I'm thinking, that is an insane thing to do, <laughs> to make that kind of deep promise, because not all marriages work. We know this. There are challenges. People die. Children are born or not born. Lots can happen, and yet we do it. We trust that there is a third body, something that holds the two people in that partnership that will sustain it, that will feed it. We trust moving forward. And isn't this also what having children is like, or even seeking to adopt a child? We move forward in some sort of faith. We set off down a path. We make a commitment. We say yes, not knowing very much about where it will lead us. Perhaps there's joy and wonder at the arrival of a new life or just as easily heartbreak that things didn't work out the way we thought they might. And yet, I don't think very many of us would undo the original yes. And isn't this also, isn't this also what it is like to move a parent or a spouse, or another loved one into hospice care. You face the reality of what is, not knowing exactly what it entails, but trusting that you will be held by love, by God, by life, something as you walk that path, and then the death of a loved one. The questions, how can I go forward? How will I go forward? How can I go on? And yet we do, carried by something we can barely name. 
I think of Teresa Schroer and her family gathered around her in that place of terror and awe and gratitude and deep mystery as she lay dying. And they sang. They sang. Something carries us forward. In every case, marriage, birth, children, death, the illusion of control, of sure knowing, that dissolves. We are no longer certain of what we know. Our knowledge, our reason, it fails us, and we are swept up in awe and terror and wonder, have you been there? Before you said your marriage vows and you crossed that threshold, were you freaked out when you decided to have a child or adopt or begin that process when you said goodbye to a loved one? Was not terror and awe and wonder present? And perhaps, if we're lucky, out of that place, we might sing a hymn of praise. We might sing to our beloved, we might sing. Maybe this is still too much Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus for you. I don't know. I know for some of you this story is powerful and speaks to you. But let me come at this from another direction. Have you ever been to one of First Universalist solstice services? I'm curious, how many of you have been to a solstice? A bunch of us. We're doing it again this year, December 21st. It's a Wednesday. And as you know, those of you who have been here, the central part of that service is when the lights in this sanctuary go out and we sit in darkness together. I don't know what that experience is like for you, those of you who have been here, but for me, something happens in that darkness as we sit together. I find myself caught up in that ancient solstice ritual darkness surrounding me and something happens, something beyond knowledge, beyond words, beyond rational mind. As the drum in that service during that time of darkness beats out the sound of a human heart, boom, 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 boom. I feel myself cast into a timeless space, a womb of darkness, a space of awe and terror and wonder. My name loses its meaning. All the ways I maintain the illusion of control in my life, they collapse. And the darkness comes bearing gifts as well. Gifts that can barely be explained. Emmanuel. God is with us. The source of life is with us. The heartbeat of life is with us. Yes, even in the darkness as we touch, as we bump up against the eternal mystery. And I think of Naomi Shihab Nye's words. I had a vision of infinity I never told you about. I was 10 on our trip to the farm. A sow was in labor. You were all keeping vigil in the barn. By myself, I walked back to the house. A television was on. No one watching it, just on. I sat on the couch. For a moment, between programs, the screen swirled an outer space landscape, stars and galaxies, dazzling miracles of light. Suddenly, something dropped. 
It was the first moment I knew I was going to die. I would not always be healthy, brown, breathing easy inside my skin. And then I fell farther. I lost my name, the month. I traveled deeper than I had ever gone, back behind the point where I began, before I became someone knowing herself as someone. I became that endless black behind the stars, knowing nothing, not knowing it had not known, and realized it was where I was going, just as it was where I had been. For seconds, mother, or maybe minutes, I was no longer your child or anything human. And then the screen changed, and Walt Disney took over, and I switched it off and wandered out into the darkness. We have such moments in our lives. Moments that no textbook or curriculum or Google search can prepare us for. Moments when it becomes clear that all we know, all we thought we knew, is simply inadequate to explain the mystery at the heart of things. Those moments, those terrifying, heart-stopping, amazing as they may be moments, are like gifts, although not a gift we would have thought to ask for. And instead of suspicion and clenched fist and anger, may we embrace that terrifying, wonder-filled moment. May we trust that God, life, love is with us in those moments, in the darkness, in the mystery. And if we speak, may we speak only awe, singing hallelujah. May it be so. And amen.